What got you there with got you got you What got you there with Shonda Laney got you there with Shonda Laney What got you there with Shonda Laney got you there with Shonda Laney What got you there with Shonda Laney For everyone wondering about the Bitcoin craze we have the interview for you Today on What Got You There, Sean is joined by Trace Mayer. Trace was one of the first popular bloggers to publicly recommend blockchain technology. At the time, Mayer recommended that his followers purchase Bitcoin. The price per coin was just 25 cents. Trace is an entrepreneur, investor, journalist, and monetary scientist. He holds degrees in accounting and law. In addition to his early adoption and recommendation of Bitcoin, Mayer provided seed money for Kraken, BitPay, and Armory. This isn't investing advice, but a platform to give you more information on the currency that is disrupting the world. Trace, thank you for joining us on What Got You There? How are you making out today? Ah, uh, doing great. Uh, how about yourself? I am doing very well. Uh, it seems like every day right now, I'm getting a million emails, text messages. What's happening in the Bitcoin world in the crypto space? And you are the man to answer all those questions. So I'm very excited to have you on today. How did you first get involved with Bitcoin? You want to give a little background on yourself? Oh well, yeah, of course. Uh, thanks so much for having me. You know, I really, I get a lot of enjoyment and kind of fulfillment out of helping people understand and navigate this space. Uh, as you know, as I talk about often, I was the first person to really publicly talk about and recommend this uh, back when it was a quarter. So, you know, <laughs> definitely I, I'm like a fossil. <laughs> yeah, pretty. So when was that around 2010, 2011? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, first publicly, first public thing was, I think, January of 2011. And uh, Bitcoin was a quarter. So, <laughs> You know, and not very many people would publicly talk about it. Not people even really knew about it, knew what it was. And since that time, you know, I've I've had this Bitcoin Knowledge podcast, uh, interviewed hundreds of the top CEOs in the Bitcoin space. You know, just get so so I've had my fingers just very much on the pulse of everything and in the whole different area in Bitcoin. I guess how how did I even like run into Bitcoin? I, that's a great question. Uh, I just kind of found it on the internet. Uh, it had been released through a mailing list to a bunch of cryptography people. And, you know, even when I was in middle school, I, I was playing around with cryptography on the computer and stuff. And so, you know, I grew up in this era of Napster and BitTorrent and, you know, and then we had the financial crisis. And I was always interested in money and all this stuff. And so Bitcoin is just a natural nexus or confluence of all these interests between computer science, money, uh, cryptography, freedom of speech, uh, teenager ambunctiousness, you know, all that stuff. And so, you know, when I kind of came across Bitcoin and, and dug into it, I was like, holy cow, this is going to be a really big thing. It's, it's going to really fundamentally change how we all relate in society. And so I just kind of jumped in with both feet and here I am. So, I mean, when you say you saw that it was going to change society, what about it at that time? I mean, this was just a small scale thing. Did you have any idea it would grow to be what it's at today? I think just a few minutes ago, it was right around 15,000. So for the listeners who might be listening in the future. Uh, yeah, I mean, I actually, yeah, I think I did. Um, <laughs> so what, what, what about the technology made you think that at the time? Because you were well, pretty forward thinking there, right? Oh, yeah, definitely very forward thinking. I mean, I was the first person to publicly come out with a multi-million dollar price target on Bitcoin. It was in a December of 2013 interview, and I laid out the case for it, you know, in, an, in, in a public interview. I mean, how many people actually, you know, take a public position or, or, or pub, like stake themselves out in the public eye? Because, I mean, everybody thinks they're a Bitcoin expert now, but it's like, <laughs> Prove it, you know, prove it that you're a Bitcoin expert. And and everybody's like, oh, it's a fraud or it's a bubble or it's this or it's that. And it's like, you didn't see it coming. What makes you in any way qualified to pronounce an opinion on it? Because most of these people don't even understand the basics of it, let alone being able to form any conclusions from those basic uh, understandings. And so, you know, when, when I got into it, it I, I suppose I just have a very wide scope in terms of what I've read and what I've understood. I mean, I, I've read thousands, tens of thousands of pages of stuff, probably hundreds of thousands of pages of stuff. I mean, in law school, I read like a hundred plus pages a day of like 
cases and stuff, right? And and that's really just a history of humanity and how we solve difficult problems. And so, you know, when 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 we look at all this, it it brings in everything from computer science to uh, information technologies to uh, economics, money, law. Uh, when we're talking about law, we can talk both about legal code and software code because we've got smart contracts that are built into all of this stuff. Uh, scripts, you know, scripting languages. I mean, some of my first scripts I wrote when I was like, I think I was like 10 or something. Uh, and so, you know, if you don't, if, if you've never programmed anything, uh, then it, it's kind of a whole different world for people. But when you start mixing all of these different disciplines together, and then you come across something like Bitcoin. And remember, Bitcoin was the first of its kind. We've been we've we've actually been trying to solve this problem for decades, uh, being able to transfer value over communications channel. And even even in in middle school and high school, I would you know I I played around on virtual games, and we had currencies in these virtual games. And so it's not like the problem of money and currency as applied to the internet with information technologies. It's not like that's a novel problem, and that people haven't been working on it. I mean, we've had a long a long history of this. We had e-gold and gold money, you know, with James Turk getting patents in 1993. We have Dr. Adam Back with Hashcash we, uh, and DigiCash. We have uh, Nick Zabo, of course, with BitGold. And, and then we have Napster and we have BitTorrent. You know, all of this is stuff that, that was going on and that I was participating in, you know, 20 years ago. So it's not like Bitcoin came out of space like some meteor and just struck earth. I mean, this is something that people were actively working on for a long time. Uh, this trying to solve this problem of transferring value over a communications channel without involving a third party. In other words, being able to do it in a censorship resistant and therefore immutable type of way. Uh, so, you know, I, I suppose it's just, you know, when you, when you've, when you've been around and, and swimming around in, in all of this stuff, uh, when when you come across something like this, you know, maybe the light bulb goes on. <laughs> That's hopefully <laughs> hopefully what what I think has happened with a lot of people. And and also a reason why I think a lot of people just don't get it and really are completely unqualified to even have uh, an opinion that they make public about it. You know, people like Jamie Dimon who says, oh, Bitcoin's a fraud. I mean, the cognitive dissonance, in other words, the ability for him to hold two conflicting ideas in his head at the same time, like he, you, you, you listen to him, when you understand this space, you listen to him and it's just this incoherent babbling. His thoughts are, are so like, such a mess, like a good, a Gordian knot that is like, <laughs> this guy clearly doesn't even have the basic understanding of anything that's going on. And yet he's out there like making, making these huge public statements. And it's going to be, you know, it's going to be interesting to look back on this, you know, in a few years and in a few decades and see just how right some people were and just how wrong other people were. And you know, it's it's <laughs> if the Bitcoin price isn't already inflicting enough uh, public damage on people, <laughs> just wait until it, it really like grows into its destiny. So then why do you think people like Jamie Dimon are speaking up so much against Bitcoin and, and what it's capable of? Well, they don't understand it. So, you know, anytime you don't understand something, uh, fear is definitely kind of a natural, a natural inclination. And then, especially when that thing is like threatening to, quote, take your sandwich, because that's what <laughs> Jamie Dimon put in one of his letter to shareholders, right? He's like, Bitcoin, these Bitcoiners are, are trying to take our sandwich. And it's like, yeah, that's exactly what we're trying to do. Like, we're disrupting money. And money is a trillion plus, multiple trillion dollar market worldwide. And the thing is, and, and I was talking to another friend of mine uh, this morning, a very accomplished investor, but someone who doesn't really understand the tech of Bitcoin, but nevertheless kind of likes it intuitively. Uh, I was telling him, he, he was like, you know, Bitcoin is, it's more than money, isn't it? And I was like, yeah, exactly. Like it's, it's not only is it better money and better currency than what we currently have, 
but it's also more than just money. So, you know, we're going to be able to do like smart contracts and we're going to be able to do uh, proof of existence type of stuff. I mean, we're already able to do that. Uh, and, and all of this is just going to fundamentally change so many of the ways that we do things, so many of the ways that we allocate capital, corporate governance. It's like when we had double entry bookkeeping get invented 700 years ago. Yeah, it changed the way that, that we structured society on a massive way. And so likewise with Bitcoin, with the first practical implementation of triple entry bookkeeping, we're also going to have huge changes in how we do all of this stuff. And so why, why some of these people like Jamie Dimon take, like stake out a public position on this when they have absolutely no clue what's going on, it, it just kind of baffles me. Uh, I actually have a lot of respect for Lloyd Blankfein, the CEO of Goldman Sachs, because he's like, look, I don't understand it, but I'm not going to poo-poo it. Hmm. So, you know, it, you really have to have an open mind, kind of like a parachute in order for all of this stuff to work. And that's really what science is all about, isn't it? Like if you have a closed mind and you think that the sun revolves around the earth and you refuse to look in the telescope, like you can't fix stupid uh, and and that's really what we're talking about. We're talking about advances in monetary science. We're talking about advances in computer science. Uh, I mean, and so like you can either be a Luddite or you can or you can like decide to push humanity forward with with our advances in science and math and cryptography and all of this stuff. So you mentioned the lack of understanding, and I mean, clearly you are incredibly articulate, very well read. Can you almost dumb down exactly what Bitcoin is, what the blockchain is for someone who maybe has no experience in it whatsoever? Yeah, so I guess it is hard. Bitcoin is a ledger. You know, we, we have ledgers for all types of stuff. We have ledgers at universities, you know, when we issue degrees. We have ledgers with a bank account. You know, Wells Fargo keeps a ledger of of all the of all the assets and all the money moving in and out and all this stuff. We have ledgers for who owns what property. We have ledgers for who owns what cars or real estate or airplanes. And Bitcoin is just a ledger. Now, traditionally, we've kept these ledgers with centralized third parties because that's really the only way that we've known how to do that as a species. With Bitcoin, everybody can get a copy of it anywhere in the world. And whenever the ledger gets updated, we're all able to instantly update the copy of our ledger to reflect the new state of the ledger without going through a third party. And, and that's really kind of what Bitcoin is at the heart of it. It's a way that it, it's a new way that we're going to be establishing trust as a society, trust in what the actual records are. So for the novice investor right now who just wants to learn more about it, any recommendations, things they should read, white papers they should check out? Yeah, I mean, of course, there's the Bitcoin white paper that uh, nine years old now. It's actually Bitcoin's birthday today, January 3rd. Uh, so happy birthday, Bitcoin. <laughs> nine years old. It's only nine more years till it's legal, right? Um, <laughs> we only chuckle about that. But uh, yeah, so read the Bitcoin white paper, depending on how thorough you want to dig into stuff. You know, if you want really complicated scientific papers, I think something like uh, Simplicity, it's a new uh, language for blockchains, like by Dr. O'Connor out of Blockstream. That's a great paper. Uh, Bulletproofs by uh, uh, Peter Woola and Greg Maxwell and Andrew Palestra and some of the other guys. If you're looking for more basic stuff or, or even how Bitcoin is applied, you know, I mean, my Bitcoin Knowledge podcast is a great resource for that. Go back and listen to a lot of these old interviews. I've tried to intentionally structure the interviews so that they're that they'll stand the test of time, meaning that we don't talk about like the current events. We talk about what what problems they're trying to solve and how they're applying Bitcoin to it. So the interviews, you know, they're not timeless, but they do have a longer shelf life. Uh, because of that. Yeah, no, that's definitely something I recommend. I, I've gone back, listened to a ton of your stuff, and it's incredibly uh, filled with information that'll help you understand the, the entire thing around Bitcoin and cryptos. Yeah, and how we got here. And I, mean, and I mean, I do all types of interviews with different types of people. Like I interviewed Wayne Bond with Tyrion, and he's applying Bitcoin, well, blockchain technology with Merkle trees to auditing of healthcare records. And it's like, oh, wow, I wonder how that would work. Or uh, 
one of the guy I interviewed the CEO of Filament, and they're doing an Internet of Things and applying it with Bitcoin and like micropayments. And you could have sensors on millions of sensors on trees all over the place. and You could be paying the sensors to get that data so we could have real time weather all over the place. Um, so, I mean, there are all these different just like wild and crazy ways to apply this technology. So, I mean, I can't stay abreast of all of it because there are seven billion people in the world and lots of us are working on really cool things. And so, you know, that's why I interview the CEOs so that they can help explain to all of us like what they're working on and the, and the cool stuff they're pushing forward. So, you know, that's that's definitely a resource. Uh, Bitcoin.org is a very good resource, especially if you're kind of on the programming side. You can get in and dig it, really dig into how the protocol works and, and how to use it and stuff like that. Uh, current news, we've got all different types of sites, you know, Coindesk or we use coins, uh, you know, all different types of reference sites out there. Uh, I would kind of give a word of caution. Bitcoin journalism is re not really that profitable. And so as a result, the quality of Bitcoin journalism is kind of in the in the gutter. Hmm. It, it's just not very it's just not very profitable. So, I mean, you, you don't really get good professional journalists working on this stuff. So if you do look for, for things, I would recommend writers like Aaron Van Worden and Kyle Tor Torpy. Uh, those are two pretty good uh, Bitcoin journalists, blockchain journalists. But otherwise, man, it can just be a real mess, you know, because you get these journalists who majored in English trying to explain what the latest PhD in computer science came out with. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it seems like anyone throws a few dollars into Bitcoin and all of a sudden they're an expert on it and feel the freedom to write all about it. I mean, you mentioned every day about all these new ideas. Obviously, there's no way to keep up with it. I mean, some of these things I've read about are just absolute genius, but do you think they can be implemented into day-to-day -day life? Yeah, well, eventually they will be. I mean, it used to be that stuff like BitTorrent and... Uh, email and all this stuff was science fiction. And you're like, well, it's genius, but how do we implement that into everyday life? And now we, now we got text messages and cell phones and email on our phones and video on our phones. And like, we're able to book our movie tickets and then pick our tickets up at the theater, or we're able to check in for our, uh, air, airline flight on our phone. I mean, like we'll get there. It's just going to take a while. You know, it'll happen faster than, than, uh, than, than we might expect, but you know, it's, it's still going to be a slow process. So yeah. And, and definitely a word of warning there, everybody and their dog, that's a Bitcoin or blockchain expert now has an ICO, an initial coin offering that they want to get you to buy. <laughs> Don't do it. <laughs> most, most likely it's some type of a scam and they're just trying to like fleece you of your money. Not to not, don't get me wrong. There is there, there is a ton of money to be made and lost in this industry. It's just, it's like the gold rush, but even worse. <laughs> and so like, you know, the speculation and the fee, the fervor and, and all this stuff, I mean, it is definitely here in spades. Uh, but you know, like to each their own, that's definitely one of the promises of Bitcoin is monetary sovereignty, which means that you're able to control your money and do what you want with it without a third party intervening. You know, that's kind of been one of my mantras or core purposes with this because it goes into civil rights and human rights. And uh, one of the reasons I, you know, have even publicly talked about this uh, is, you know, because this is such a high priority or purpose for me. But, you know, along with that great ability also comes the personal responsibility of, of wielding it, which means if you if you send your money to a scammer, you're probably not going to get it back. If you don't back up your bitcoins and you lose and, and your computer crashes or whatever, like you might lose all your bitcoins. So it means you have to really figure out what you're doing and how and you have to take personal responsibility for this stuff. And nobody's I mean, nobody really cares about your wealth more than you do. And those people that do are just scammers trying to take it from you. In most cases, you know, whether they're investment advisors or running ICOs or or whatever it is. So, you know, definitely words of warning for people that like <laughs> it it I mean, we're talking about money becoming data. And if you lose that data, like dope. <laughs>
I mean, you don't get it back. You know, you can't solve the math problem. You don't have the private key anymore. Yep. No, that's certainly some sound advice. And anyone who's looking to invest in this certainly needs to be doing their own diligence and their own homework. You mentioned the speculation you hear so much right now with TV shows, CNBC, all of the major networks talking about bubble, comparing this to tulip mania. Obviously, you're against that. Can you talk about that and, and why this isn't something that reminds you of a bubble or tulip mania? Well, I mean, the whole tulip mania thing, I mean, has anybody actually gone and read like what happened during the tulip mania? I mean, come on. Like this isn't anything like the tulip mania. Just look at the volumes uh, going through on a lot of these coins and stuff and how long it's been around. It's not like the tulip mania at all. Yeah, tulip mania was only a couple of months, right? Yeah. I, yeah. And even then, like it wasn't a ton of volume going in and out of, of the asset class. I mean, we're talking Bitcoin's like twenty billion dollars a day of liquidity just in Bitcoin. I mean, it's it's nothing like it. Uh, but you know, that isn't to say that we don't that like anything. Anything can get overvalued or undervalued. And I've often talked about taking the current price of an asset and dividing it by the two hundred day moving average. And then looking at the standard deviations to try and figure out whether you have a high probability of, you know, having capital appreciation or whether you have a low probability, you know, like why buy stuff when it's overvalued after everybody else has already bought everything? Like, how are you going to make money doing that? Right. Uh, and and actually one of the another podcast hosts, I think Preston from we follow billionaires or the investors podcast or something like that. He made a, he actually made a website, mayormultiple.com. I'm like, and no, no input from me on it other than listening to my interviews, but he puts up great uh, graphs and charts about that, that have the current numbers and ratios with that mayor multiple. And so, you know, that can, that can help people understand like when might be a good time to move into it or move out of it or move from one to the other. Uh, which is, you know, which the capital allocation question is a completely different question from being able to acquire the human capital or the intellectual capital to be able to competently interact with this asset class. Meaning, you know, if you don't if you don't know how to properly secure your private keys or how to buy or sell the 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 the, the assets or how to store and secure them or all of this stuff then you lack the optionality to, to, to allocate capital into this space or not uh, in a competent way. So, you know, you want to you wanna acquire that human capital regardless of whether you're going to actually, you know, buy a bunch of Bitcoin or not. You want to know how to buy it and how to secure it. Then you can decide whether you're actually going to buy it or secure it. You know, so take some time, you know, maybe a couple hundred bucks I mean, we spend ten hundreds of thousands of dollars getting higher education degrees. Like, spend a couple hundred bucks and in, in you know a, quite a few hours, like reading and understanding what the asset, what what this is, what how it might change stuff, how you can actually buy it and sell it and secure it and move it around and all of these things. And then you know the time might come when you, you decide to allocate a larger percentage of your portfolio into it. But you'll at least have the education and the ability to do that uh, because, man, there's nothing sadder to me than when I talk to people at a conference or friends or whatever who, you know, they, they bought Bitcoin, but they didn't know how to properly secure it. Now it's all gone because it got hacked or compromised or they didn't back it up properly. And, you know, now now in some cases that Bitcoin's like millions of dollars or in or even tens of millions of dollars. Yeah. What's the worst uh, horror story you've heard with that? Oh, I got a I got a few of them. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I'd say probably one of the worst. One of my friends, he, he got laid off about a year ago from Deloitte. Uh, you know, so he's been on unemployment and just really scraping by having a hard time. I think he he said he lost something like. $5 million worth of Bitcoin in Mt. Gox, you know, which today I think, I think today that would be like 50 or a hundred million dollars. It's just like, well, why'd you keep it all in there? Why didn't you withdraw it, put some in cold storage? Like, I mean, seriously, uh, another, another friend of mine, like I actually went to, I went to law school with her. It was great. We, we waited in line for one of the iPhones. So, uh, we got we got some time to talk. You know, this was 2007 and we shared some similar interests and stuff. Well, fast forward a few years and 
and her and her husband, they want to buy some Bitcoins. And so we go down to the go down to Walgreens and buy like $100 of Bitcoin, I think through BitInstant or whatever the company was at the time. And then and, and he was using a blockchain.info wallet, uh, you know, because those are easy to set up. And, and that's what I kind of showed him. But I remember giving him the specific advice. I was like, look, the, like blockchain.info is fine for a little bit of money. But, you know, if you're really going to get into this, like you need to figure out how to use Armory. Because uh, I seed funded Armory, uh, you know, put in a lot of money. We developed some very good software there for monetary sovereignty. And, uh, you know, so I told him to do that. Anyways, like a couple, you know, we kept in touch and everything. But, you know, it's not my pig, not my farm, how much Bitcoin anybody has. And he's, he's he pings me on Skype. He's like, uh, all my Bitcoins are gone. What do you think happened? <laughs> and... <laughs> And all his Bitcoins like disappeared out of his blockchain.info wallet. And I think that blockchain.info, like they've had lots of security incidents in the past and security vulnerabilities. And so I think uh, I think it was a combination of him using a short password, but also uh, blockchain.info just giving out the encrypted wallet backups to just anybody. And so they gave out his encrypted backup to probably some Russian hacker who then brute forced the, the key uh, brute force the password and got to the key because he had used a very small password. And, and I was like, man, that, that really kind of stinks. And, and he was like, yeah, you know, I lost X number of Bitcoin, which was like a million dollars at the time. And so that's another $50 million. Like that's how much the Bitcoins would be worth today. had he still had them. So, I mean, these are like some just painful stories and he, you know, because he had actually been buying a lot of Bitcoin every month, you know, they, they had taken the retained earnings, the, 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 the extra money from their, their businesses that they ran together. And they were plowing it all into Bitcoin as a savings device. And then, you know, it'd been doing that for a couple of years. So, I mean, they lost a lot of money. And guess who's like the absolute most paranoid Bitcoin user I know now? <laughs> yeah, those two. <laughs> oh, I could imagine. Yeah, you've got me breaking a sweat over here just hearing these stories. <laughs> yeah, well, it, I mean, it happens, right? Like, because the, I mean, they're like the Bitcoin network. You can't like a judge can't send a subpoena to the Bitcoin network. Like he can't issue a judgment that forces the Bitcoin network to do something. The Bitcoin network just ignores it because the Bitcoin network at the end of the day is just a math problem. So if you don't have the private key, like the Bitcoin network, it doesn't it doesn't even know you exist. Uh, regardless of how much violence you can exert, you know, you could be the U.S. government, your nuclear weapons can't solve a math problem. And so like, but along with that comes like, there's no customer support line to call, like with the Bitcoin network, there's no, there's no like reset button when you screw up, like it's immutable. That means that you can't, like, you can't change it. Not all blockchains are necessarily immutable. You know, they, they might they might appear that way, but the but the security behind them might just be built on a bunch of sand with Bitcoin. I mean, there is real security behind the Bitcoin network. It uses something like 37 terawatts of electricity every year. I mean, that's more electricity than the entire country of Morocco uses in a year. Like you're not going to force the Bitcoin network to do anything. Uh, it's just too big now. And so. You know, that that means that you have to interact with the Bitcoin network in a very responsible way, just like you would interact with gravity or just like you would interact with gold. Uh, you know, you, you have to be very responsible with how you interact with it because you, you don't want your Bitcoins to end up at the bottom of the ocean, you know, by losing those private keys. Today, what got you there is being fueled by Soniva Super Coffee. Suniva provides an organic bottled coffee blended with lactose-free protein and MCTs from coconut oil for all-day energy. Grab a bottle at your local Whole Foods market or use discount code WGYT at drinksupercoffee.com for 20% off your order. As someone who's always looking for ways to improve my mental and physical performance, I started using Four Sigmatic about a year ago, and I love their products. At Four Sigmatic, they believe in the real magic of functional mushrooms like reishi, chaga, cordyceps, and lion's mane, as well as other superfoods and adaptogens to help us live healthier, more enhanced lives. Everyone's talking about Four Sigmatic, including Time Magazine, Vogue, Forbes, even the New York Times. 
My favorite product is their convenient new brain stick pack. Perfect before a workout or a study session, their dual mushroom blend supports memory attention and brain health. I also have been using their cordyceps before workouts and love the results. I've experienced the benefits of these delicious packets, but now it's time for you to as well. To receive 15% off your order, use discount code WGYT at checkout at foursigmatic.com or by heading to foursigmatic.com forward slash WGYT. Do you think some of these difficulties around storing it, protecting it is some of the reasons why a lot of people in the U.S. just don't understand it and don't want to adopt it? Yeah, because, you know, to really to really do it right, you have to think kind of with an adversarial mindset. One is like, how's somebody going to steal my Bitcoins? <laughs> oh, this is how they do it. I want to protect myself in this way so they can't steal them in that way. <laughs> you know, so most people just don't really think that way. Uh, two is like, why should anybody build this software like and just give it away to people for free? I mean, that really is kind of a labor of love if you think about it. And uh, I, and that's what we did with Armory. You know, we built this software. We gave it away for free. Like, so at the end of the day, like, if you're not securing your Bitcoins, it's really your own fault because the tools are out there. People have paid money to, to have them built and put them out there or paid with their own sweat equity. But it does take time and can be frustrating. You know, the software could be more reliable or won't. Well, Reliable, not necessarily the right word, could be more user friendly, could be easier. Uh, but like, you know, Bitcoin, it's open source. Like if you want it to be that way, then you 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 make the software that way or uh, you pay somebody to make the software that way. And so like Coinbase, you know, they're rolling out a custodian service. They're charging 10 basis points a month to store and secure Bitcoins, you know, for big financial institutions. Um I wouldn't store any money with any of these third parties. You know, it's just not for any particular length of time or reason. Maybe if you're trading or selling Bitcoins for a short period of time, you could do it. But like rule number one in Bitcoin is don't trust anybody. Uh, you know, don't trust. I, you're, you're trusting the Bitcoin network. You're trusting the software. And, and so that software has to be open source. Uh, hopefully you can review the code. If you don't review the code yourself, then, you know, find different experts on whom you can rely to review the code. You know, Bitcoin Core, that software has been very thoroughly reviewed. Uh, the Armory software has been very thoroughly reviewed. There are lots of eyes watching those GitHub repositories. Uh, but, you know, I look at like a lot of these forks. So a fork is basically like somebody just splits off from Bitcoin and copies the ledger, which in the case of like Bitcoin Cash or Bcash, everybody who had a Bitcoin also had a had a Bcash. Well, what if what if the person who makes the Bcash wallet makes it is malicious? What if they make it in a way that they want to compromise your Bitcoin private key? So you put in your Bitcoin private key because you're trying to pick up your pennies of your Bcash and they steal all your Bitcoin. <laughs> and, and, and that actually happened with like Bitcoin Gold, a malicious wallet was put on the homepage of the main project's uh, website. And one guy on Reddit, he lost 36 Bitcoins trying to get his Bitcoin Gold. The Bitcoins were worth 15 grand. The Bitcoin Gold was worth about $300. So, so, you know, I mean, you're going to pick up pennies in front of a steamroller. So, so I mean, you, you have to learn you have to learn how to just have this mindset, this security mindset, adversarial mindset. And then you, you have to just be responsible and meticulous. And you, you kind of just have to figure out how to do all of this stuff. And yeah, it's going to take time and it's going to take effort and it's going to take some brains. And you're either going to do it or you're going to get left behind by people who do do it. Right. Because because your your product, how much you actually are able to accomplish is really related between how much work you put in multiplied by the tools that you have. So if you're trying to dig a hole with your hands and another guy's got a shovel and a third guy has a, has a backhoe, you know, or, or, a, or an earth mover, like he can accomplish in five or 10 minutes what it might take you a year worth of effort to accomplish. Right. And so learn how to use these powerful tools that are out there. 
Because if you don't, you're just not going to be able to compete very well against the people who do. I mean, you made your, you mentioned the major institutions, Wall Street coming in. I mean, we're already seeing price volatility go pretty crazy right now. What do you foresee happening in the next six to 12 months because of these major institutions now kind of getting a crack at it? Yeah, this is, this is a, you know, a trillion dollar question, right? <laughs> so, so when I look at Bitcoin or any of these cryptocurrencies, I, you know, I've kind of come up with this seven network effects, uh, that, that they all kind of interact with. We've got speculation, merchants, consumers, uh, miners or security. We, then we fifth network effect is developers. Sixth is financialization and seventh is world reserve currency status. Uh, Wall Street coming in is the sixth network effect of financialization, and it's going to buttress or, in, or, or exponentially fortify the second and third network effects of merchants and consumers because merchants like Amazon or Walmart will be able to hedge price volatility with the, with the futures contracts. And so with things like Lightning Network, which will enable millions of transactions per second because it you know, abstracts on top of Bitcoin, another layer, then – you know, we can have massive adoption of Bitcoin uh, worldwide by, by all these big companies, which, you know, reinforces the speculation network effect because there's, hey, there's another use case and, and it's that much more real or closer to being accomplished. And so, you know, Bitcoin's got all seven of these network effects. They're all firing on on the same cylinders at once. And really, when we step back and look at the big picture, like for the first time in like a long, long time, the world is rethinking what money is. It used to be gold, still is arguably, you know, otherwise why do central banks hold it? And why has it got a, you know, trillions of dollars in its market cap? Uh, is it, so, so is money, is it gold? Is it the US dollar? And by extension, all other fiat currencies, because all fiat currencies are the dollar at the end of the day because of Bretton Woods, or is it something else? And if it's something else like, well, is it Bitcoin or could it potentially be something like Litecoin or Ripple or something that it hasn't even been invented yet? And I would argue that in terms of being a world reserve currency asset, you have to have something that has rock solid security uh, and immutability, which Bitcoin's got. And Ripple, you know, which is there's been a lot of activity with the price of Ripple lately. But Ripple just does not have that type of rock solid security and immutability that would call, that, that would give a large institutions a reason to use it as a reserve asset. Uh, in fact, Ripple's already changed their changed their database, you know, rolled back their their blockchain equivalent thing uh, in their history. So, like, why why trust that when they can just change the ledger whenever they want? You know, with Bitcoin, nope, 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 it's immutable. You know, in order to change the ledger, you got to have the private key and get it confirmed into the blockchain. So, you know, I, I just do not see any other innovation in terms of all of this monetary innovation that Bitcoin has just kind of kicked the door down and let happen. Uh, I, you know, there are a lot of interesting projects out there, but in terms of like a world reserve settlement currency status uh, type asset, I just don't see anything on the horizon. Uh, that could overcome these seven network effects that Bitcoin is already entrenched with. And because of that, Bitcoin just has this super dominance over any other potential competitor too. So, you know, world's rethinking what money is. Is, this, is it going to be gold? That's what it used to be. But gold's not extensible, which is why the dollar rose to such prominence, because you could send it over a communications channel with a wire transfer. You know, that was that was a telegraph along a railroad track. Uh, you know, is it going to be gold? Is it going to be the dollar or is it going to be something else? And if it's going to be something else, Bitcoin is really the only contender there. And so, you know, th these these futures might be the part of the bridge uh, between large scale institutional adoption of Bitcoin with the traditional legacy system of dollars and also gold. So then what do you think is going to happen with Bitcoin over the next few months here? You're seeing way more people enter this market right now. What do you think the market cap's going and then obviously the price? Oh my gosh. I mean, well, first there's an unlimited amount of Bitcoin. It's just a function of price, right? <laughs> so, 
everybody who wants some Bitcoin, they can buy some. They just got to pay up for it. Um, yeah, I mean, and, and you mentioned there are a lot of people coming into this space. Like, let's put some numbers on this, you know, Let, let's put some numbers on this. Coinbase, you know, they've been adding 200,000 new accounts per day. Bitstamp is adding 100,000 new accounts per day. Kraken is adding 50,000 accounts per day. In fact, I was just talking with the CEO of Kraken this morning. They've got 88,000 customer verification requests currently in the backlog or in the queue. <laughs> <laughs> um, so going, and, and these are just three exchanges out of over 150 plus that do over a billion dollars of volume each. Like, I mean, not a billion dollars of volume each in a day, in a month, uh, but, but 150 exchanges. So ecosystem wide, let's say we're adding a million new accounts per day to, you know, new Bitcoin slash crypto accounts. How many people are born in the world worldwide every day? I mean, you got any idea what I, that number might be? I have no idea. <laughs> it's about 360,000. Okay. So, so we're currently bringing three, give or take three times as many people into the Bitcoin blockchain ecosystem as are being born in the world every day. Like that's the delta or differential. So, you know, when we looked in the past, when we had a new continent, you know, to be built out, it was Christopher Columbus who discovered the trade winds. And then the whole building out of that continent went through or flowed through Manhattan because of how the geography was set up and then to the world markets. So likewise, building out cypherspace or this area of cryptocurrency and, and cryptography and all this stuff, building out this new nation, Bitcoin, because of these network effects, is effectively positioned based on the geography of this, of this new math-based country is like Manhattan. And, and we're seeing a million people plus per day migrate to this new nation. Of, of, of math-based currencies and everything. I mean, this is the largest mass human migration that the world has ever seen when you think about it. It's just, it's not happening. It's not happening physically. It's happening in, in cyberspace. So it's not necessarily as readily apparent uh, because we just don't see it, you know, tangibly, physically, corporeally. Uh, but it's happening nonetheless, and the and the money flows and the cash flows are definitely uh, definitely re revealing that. And you know, one one thing someone asked me on an interview once, they're like, well, you know, what keeps you up at night with all this Bitcoin blockchain stuff? And I was like, uh, no, I'm not really scared of anything. Like nothing keeps me up at night. In fact, I hope we're keeping other people up at night. <laughs> And one of the Canadian central bankers actually said that Bitcoin is keeping him up at night when he got asked a question about it. And I was like, gosh, darn it, we're doing a good job, aren't we? <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, I've got a practical question. So someone like yourself, I mean, a Bitcoin millionaire many times over, how would someone like you even liquidate their coins? I mean, Coinbase, what do they allow? Ten or $20,000 that you can deposit each day? Uh, yeah, well, for both buying and selling large amounts of Bitcoin, uh, there, there are these things called over-the-counter. And so like Kraken has an OTC desk uh, and Genesis Trading, uh, Cumberland Mining, you know, most of the exchanges all have OTC desks. And so what you would do with the OTC desk, if you wanted to buy or sell, you would, well, one, you have to be verified, like all the AMLKYC stuff. So you have your account on, you have your account on good order. You would talk to the to the OTC broker and be like, I want to buy 50 Bitcoin. And he would look across all the exchanges or however they price these large blocks and come back with a quote for you and be like, okay, I can get you 50 Bitcoin at $15,000. Or you're like, I want to sell 25 Bitcoin or I want to sell 500 Bitcoin. And, you know, he would come back with a quote for that large block of Bitcoin. Uh, you know, they do this on Wall Street with large blocks of shares, you know, between institutions. And so it's not like it's an uncommon practice or anything. And these OTC markets are actually very liquid and there's lots of liquidity and depth there. So, you know, people can move in and out of Bitcoin uh, with, you know, with large positions, you know, uh, 
without moving the price too much. Now, a lot of these altcoins are forks. There's just not a lot of buy buy side pressure for them, you know. Uh, so it might take a little bit longer to do it with those coins. But a lot of these OTC desks will also OTC trade these other coins too, like Ethereum and stuff. Oh, okay. I mean, you mentioned some of the altcoins like Ripple, Ethereum, Litecoin. Uh, any ones that are actually piquing your interest and you think have some good, uh, some future value? Well, you know, I'm always interested in these. I look at them as R&D projects. And in the past, actually on my Bitcoin Knowledge podcast, I interviewed Evan Duffield. He was the the founder and lead developer of Dash. And I think it was $3 per Dash at the time. And currently Dash is like $1,250. And it was it's actually up 6x in terms of Bitcoin from when I did that interview. So in terms of a coin that over, you know, an 18 to 20 month time period has actually outperformed Bitcoin, Dash is pretty much the only the only one with any substantive market cap that has done that. Uh, then there was a fork off of Dash called PIVX. And I did an interview like four or five months ago. And PIVX was at like 85 cents, and now it's trading at $12.50 or something like that. Um, I'm also quite interested in some of these other uh, privacy and smart contract uh, coins, particularly ones that incorporate compounded interest type things into, into them. So there's, there's, a, there's a fork uh, called Bitcore, and it was like $2 in August and it's $25 now, but everybody who had Bitcoin also got Bitcore. So, you know, you go claim that fork, but, you know, m mostly with forks and airdrops, I would say, well, just sell them and get, get the Bitcoins, right? But in Bitcore's case, like it actually kind of, uh, it looked like it was, it's good to, it, it was good to hold because they also do a weekly airdrop where you, you earn like 4% or 5% new Bitcore BTXs on the BTXs that you hold if you register the address. So, you know, I look at these and they, they give a financial or a monetary incentive to figure out how to do all this stuff. How do you handle your private keys? How do you move the, the private keys around in a secure way? How do you keep your Bitcoin safe? How do you safely claim your different airdrops or your different uh, forks? In, in Bitcore's case, you have to sign a message with a private key. So like, how do you do that? So you got to figure out how to do that. So they're, they're teaching people financial literacy or this cryptocurrency literacy. Uh, you know, another one that I've just barely uh, played around with at all is called Smart Cash. And I've been playing around with that one because somebody gave me a hundred, you know, gave me some of these uh, Smart Cash for free. Uh, it was only like a thousand bucks at the time. Uh, but you know, and, and so I, I had the smart cash and they're sitting in the wallet and I go check the price and like, they're up 60 X or something <laughs> like that in like four months. So now I've got this incentive to figure out how to actually like play with smart cash. Right. And, and they, they did like an update to their wallet and, and it's crashed and, and so I actually haven't been able to get my wallet.dat file to work <laughs> with like the upgraded smart cash wallet, you know? And, and so, you know, there's always something to learn. It doesn't matter who you are. Um, but you know, so, so it's, I mean, I would just kind of look at this whole space and look at all these forks and altcoins and stuff like that. Look at them as learning experiences and how you can acquire greater literacy in this space and greater fluency and greater abilities to just manage your keys and understand what's going on and just all this type of stuff, you know, because it is pretty complicated. Yeah, it certainly is. Any, maybe one more under the radar coin that you haven't really done too much research on, but you're definitely gonna be checking out over the next few weeks? Uh, no, I don't really have it. Sorry, you know, <laughs> I wish I had another trade tip, but uh, no, I've, I've been on vacation. I was I was like feeding raw chicken to crocodiles with my nieces and nephews and, and help taking them to the sloth feedings and stuff for all the holidays. So <laughs> I, mean, I just didn't even have internet uh, for a couple of weeks. I, I mean, enough to check email here and there, but yeah, for the most part, I've, uh, uh, I just haven't been, you know, I haven't followed much of the stuff. 
and there, but there's free money out there, you know, for Bitcoin holders. You've got Bitcoin Cash, Bcash. You've got Bitcoin Gold. You've got uh, Super Bitcoin. That's like three trading at three hundred dollars a Bitcoin. It's a fork. You get one for one. You've got Bitcoin Diamond. Looks like a scam coin. You've got uh, <laughs> Segwit Two X, another scam coin. But these are all like one to one forks. Or in Bitcoin Diamond's case, it's like a one to ten fork. But I mean, be careful. They might be trying to steal your private keys. And if not to get your Bitcoins, to get any forks of those private keys to those Bitcoins might be entitled to, right? So, I mean, you just, and I think, I think just like 2017 was the year of the ICO or the, the initial coin offering, I think 2018 is going to be the year of the IFO, the initial fork offering. I think we're just going to see tons of these forks taking place. And part of the reason is because if you're a miner, it's very commoditized. And so you have this incentive to muddy the waters to make it more difficult to understand what's going on to create lots of misinformation or disinformation or just more complexity because it makes it more difficult to price stuff so i think we're just going to see tons of these forks happening uh, because one it, it helps miners make a little bit more money because they might have knowledge that all of us don't have and two the exchanges make money because you know you got to trade these forks for whatever you want so i think we're going to see a lot more forks happen in 2018 and so having the competency to figure out how to claim them and sell them and do whatever you want with them i think that's going to be a very important skill set to develop yeah a lot of research going into 2018 and you mentioned the exchanges one or two more quick questions with those exchanges, they constantly seem to be locking up, restricting withdrawals. Any idea what's going to take place in the future here to kind of correct that? <laughs> uh, well, hopefully they'll be able to scale up. Right. Uh, I mean, some of the scalability issues, though, are major concerns for some of these. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's a it's a everybody is slammed. Uh, I mean, a crack, across the ecosystem, we're up like 35 acts in terms of volumes. All these new accounts need to be, you know, verified and AML, KYC and all like all this stuff. Like even at Kraken, you know, where we take, you know, Kraken security is extremely serious. And I'm a I'm a investor in Kraken. I helped uh, lead one of their early rounds. And, you know, and one of the reasons is because they just prioritize security over everything else. And, you know, scaling up, at least in our experience with Kraken, scaling it up, it's not just hiring 10 more people and 10 more putting out 10 more servers like you, you don't just scale up that way because i mean you have to scale like we write all we, we write all our own wallet software like all this type of stuff right so that it's more secure and who's actually got like can see the code and all this stuff like you know you can't just scale that up overnight by hiring 10 people and so the whole ecosystem is under tremendous strain and there just aren't really that many people that have good programming experience in this space. And those that are have likely been snatched up already by a lot of the companies. So, you know, I think we're going to continue seeing a lot of strain with that, you know, and, and by extension, you know, that's, that, that's what happens when, when the, you know, you're, you want to get these wire transfers out. I mean, with Kraken, it's it's very annoying because like the banking partner, you know, they have to review all these wire transfers that are going in and out. And are they going to hire one or two more employees at the bank when they don't necessarily know that our, that business will continue to stay there with Kraken? And so, you know, we, we have not just the exchanges, but also their legacy business partners that, that they're working with that have to scale up. And I mean, it's just really annoying all the way across the across the board. And of course, Kraken's been taking a lot of a lot of heat lately. I I sent the CEO one of the Reddit threads. It was it was uh, don't worry about moving your coins off exchange into cold storage. Just keep them at Kraken because <laughs> the, web, the website's unavailable and even hackers can't get to it. <laughs> you know, and he, he kind of sent me back that Jean Luc Picard uh, face palm. You know, the yeah. the forehead and the in the palm. But I mean, we, we understand like it's it's not the best user experience right now. It's kind of that way across the whole ecosystem. If it's not that way at a service provider, you really have to wonder, are they competent or are they just like cutting corners somewhere? Uh, and if they're cutting corners somewhere, 
Well, we saw what happened with Mount Gox when they cut corners, yeah. you know, and there, and there are a ton of exchanges in the, in the, in the, you know, in the graveyard that have cut corners. And that's really your biggest risk when you're dealing with these exchanges is that they're going to cut some type of security corner and lose the coins, or they're just going to embezzle the coins themselves. So, you know, it really does put people kind of in a catch 22 because you go with a new exchange, but you might lose all your money there you know, because they don't have customers yet, or do you go with one of the blue chip established players that has proven that they've had pretty good competency over the years. But if you go with them, well, everybody else wants to do that too, right? Because they don't want to lose all their money. So, you know, it is definitely, you know, it's definitely difficult for newcomers coming into the space, but you know, that's, that's what happens when you're late to something, you know, that's just what happens when you're late. And like, why didn't you, why didn't you make an account like three years earlier? Like, right. (laughs) And so, you know, it's better, best time to plant a tree was nine years ago with Bitcoin. Second best time is today, but yeah, you're, you, you just might have a harder environment in order to, to, to do all that stuff with. Right. And so hopefully you got friends who are crypto competent and they can perhaps get some coins for you or you can do off off exchange transactions like, you know, and that way you can build your your technical literacy and all, all of the things we talked about earlier. But, yeah, I mean, it's it's just it just is what it is. You know, it's uh, I mean, what, what do you expect? Like a million people coming into this ecosystem every day. Like it, it's just totally overloaded on, on all of our infrastructure. Wow. Well, Trace, this has been unbelievable, incredibly insightful. I, I can't thank you enough for coming on. How can the listeners stay connected with you? I'm sure after this one, a lot are going to want to stay up to date with you on social media. Yeah. Uh, well, I got my Bitcoin knowledge podcast. That's www.bitcoin.kn. And then on social media, I tweet every now and then, following a good example of uh, our new president in the United States. <laughs> Got to stir the pot whenever I can, right? Uh, and that's just at Trace Mayer. Uh, so, you know, I, I put out some fun stuff here and there and uh, pick a fight or two whenever it'll get more tweets, right? <laughs> well, we will definitely be sure to get all that linked up in the show notes because you certainly are a fun follow. But Trace, thanks again, and I really appreciate you coming on. You're welcome, Sean. Thanks so much for having me anytime. As someone who's always looking for ways to improve my mental and physical performance, I started using Four Sigmatic about a year ago, and I love their products. At Four Sigmatic, they believe in the real magic of functional mushrooms like reishi, chaga, cordyceps, and lion's mane, as well as other superfoods and adaptogens to help us live healthier, more enhanced lives. Everyone's talking about Four Sigmatic, including Time Magazine, Vogue, Forbes, even the New York Times. My favorite product is their convenient new Brain Stick Pack. Perfect before a workout or a study session, their dual mushroom blend supports memory attention and brain health. I also have been using their cordyceps before workouts and love the results. I've experienced the benefits of these delicious packets, but now it's time for you to as well. To receive 15% off your order, use discount code WGYT at checkout at foursigmatic.com or by heading to foursigmatic.com forward slash WGYT. If you're looking for a way to stay energized throughout the entire day, grab a bottle of Suniva Super Coffee. Suniva is something I drink on a daily basis. It's an organic bottled coffee blend with lactose-free protein and MCTs from coconut oil, which provides me with clean, all-day energy. Head to your local Whole Foods or use discount code WGYT at drinksupercoffee.com for 20% off your order. Suniva was founded by three college athletes who are brothers and wanted a cleaner way to stay energized throughout the entire day. Let's face it, we all want to look good in the clothes we wear, but I got tired of sifting through the racks looking for a quality pair of jeans that cost less than $300. Then I found Distilled. DSTLD, pronounced Distilled, offers premium denim and essentials at an affordable price. Their products cost just one-third of what other premium brands charge because Distilled refuses to work with middlemen, bringing savings directly to you. Just go to dstld.com right now and use the promo code JOURNEY10 in all caps at checkout to get 10% off your first purchase. What got you there with Shonda Laney? Uh, What got you there with Shonda Laney? What got you there with Shonda Laney? 
What got you there? What got you, got you? Thanks for listening to another episode of What Got You There. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave us a review on iTunes and also share with your friends. Thanks so much. Looking forward to talking with you next time. If you want to stay up to date on all things I'm working on behind the scenes and everything we've got going on at What Got You There, head over to whatgotyouthere.com. You'll also be able to see more on podcast guests and what they're doing. Thanks to Justin Great for providing us the intro and outro song. If you like his music and want to find out more about what he's working on, head over to justingreat.com.